Welcome to Tulsa Titans, highlighting our local business professionals who are making the impact. I'm so excited. I've got Leah Wheatholter here with me today. She's the CEO of Workman Forensics. She's in the process of writing a book. She used to work for the FBI. She's following her childhood dream, and that is so exciting. Leah, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so when I was about mm, 12 years old, I decided I was going to be an investigator. Like, I read mystery books all the time. I only listened to, like, uh, or wanted to watch movies and that type of thing that involved mysteries and investigations. So when I was in high school, I started researching the whole alphabet soup, you know, NSA, FBI, CIA, all of those. And I decided the FBI was for me. So when I went to, I went to Oral Roberts, I'm originally from Texas, but I moved here to go to Oral Roberts. And um, my whole goal, my, my major was based on what would the FBI hire? I mean, this is how intense I was about this as a college kid. And um, so I started, I majored in accounting, got a degree in accounting, but that from my, between my junior and senior year, I had this opportunity to apply for the honors internship with the FBI that summer, had the time of my life for 10 weeks. They said, hey, check back with your local field office. You might be able to have a paid internship where your local field office is or, or and there's an office here in Tulsa. So I did have to work while I was in college. And fortunately, Oklahoma City had money. And so I got to work the next two years with the local office under a forensic accountant who's still my one of my best friends and mentor. And after doing that, the internship came to a close and started looking at, you know, do I want to stay with the FBI or what do I want to do? So I decided to be a quote unquote good accountant and go into public accounting. And so I worked at a local company prepping tax returns. While I was there, they started getting um, like forensic accounting type cases because it, it wasn't super popular at the time, but there was still a need. And they said, oh, Leah worked for the FBI. I'm sure she can figure it out. So um, there was a certified fraud examiner on staff who was my manager. And we just started working cases. And I worked several large cases of like embezzlement from a bank, divorce, um, from a dental embezzlement from a dental practice, stuff like that. But I was still having to prep tax returns. And that's just not what I wanted to do with my life. So I started looking around. Forensic accounting still wasn't a big thing in Tulsa. I was going to have to move, but I was in the middle of grad school at this time at OSU. And uh, the headhunter asked me, what, like, what's your dream? What do you want to do? And I said, I had my dream job at 21. So I don't know what to do with my life. I felt completely lost. And he said, well, you know, you live cheap right now. What, what if you just started your own business? And so I started Workman Forensics. Workman is my maiden name. My dad is the last of the workman name um, in my family because I have three sisters. And so I decided to carry on that name with Workman Forensics. And anyway, uh, here we are today. And now I have a team of six. I've been in business. It'll be 11 years in November. I have a team of six and we have trademarked several different things. Uh, one is our data sleuth process, which... Um, that's what this book is about that you mentioned. Uh, we have something called Find Money and Divorce that helps people find, like, kind of do their own research if they're in the middle of a divorce and think so there's something hidden. And then we also created a game that qualifies for continuing education credit for investigators and accountants. So we are just really busy. And we have a podcast, the Investigation Game Podcast, and there's an escape room in the making. So now, you know, thanks to this, I just kind of had that little blip in my career where I thought my dream happened at 21. What am I going to do? But 
now it's just really cool because I've been able to really start focusing in the last few years on kind of that dream again. Like, what did I actually want this to look like as a kid? And, you know, but hopefully the grown up version of that. That's so awesome. You said something important I want to kind of cue in on for the, the audience. You didn't live beyond your means, right? And I know typical accountant, right? But really, you had a dream and you did it and then kind of putting a business model around it. You had the opportunity to do that because you didn't self-indulge in cars and houses and all these things, right? And I know so many professionals that want to chase something but they're actually a slave to what they've invested in. Can you talk a little bit about the freedom around just not overspending as a professional when you want to start your own business? Yeah, I, I wish I could answer this by saying, oh yeah, I was just such a good saver and I was such a good planner and all of this, but um, that really wasn't the case. I think I learned to do that by starting my business uh, kind of out of necessity. When I started my business, I had, uh, no clients. I had not prepared for this. I had not saved to start my own business. And for the first three months after leaving public accounting, um, I had no work, no income. And so I had to figure it out. And so while I would never want to go back to those days, I'm very thankful that I experienced it because it required me to think creatively. So I didn't have money to do any like fancy marketing or anything like that, but it forced me to get outside of my comfort zone. And if one of my friends said, oh, I know this attorney, then I would, uh, quite frankly, at times I had to borrow nice clothes. So I would like borrow nice clothes from my roommates or my friends. And then I would go meet with an attorney, talk to them for five or 10 minutes. I mean, if anyone would take five or 10 minutes to meet with me, I would go and I would meet with them. And then I also created lots of little side hustles. Uh, I remember I was a like a photo shoot manager one day. I mean, just because somebody said, I'll pay you to do this, you know, um, I really wanted to learn more about, you know, I had this business degree, but I had never put it to work. I never intended to be an entrepreneur. So um, I was wanting to experiment and I still do this today, kind of experiment hands-on. And so I, I had learned that uh, like on a Reese's ad, on a grocery ad, their loss leaders are usually on the front page. And I could cook and I had a bunch of single friends at the time who needed meals. And so I would plan a menu around all the loss leaders at Reese's and then I would charge my friends on it. And so I would cook them dinner and then they would stop by and pick this up. So then I ended up eating for free. I had a little extra cash, but I had to do that for about three months, not always cooking for people, but I just had to kind of figure out how does this work and yeah, not going crazy and, um, buying cars or getting really in over my head definitely helped do that. Um, yeah. We had a similar experience. You know, I think my first job, I had the flu and I was pulling cable in a building to make our first thousand dollars and get everything off the ground. And then I went and knocked on doors and just laid on the desk and asked people how they were doing and told them what we did to get started. I think 200 doors in the first week. Right. Yeah. Looking back now, something else I want to tee up on because you've you've really started a business from the ground up, right? Yes. And really went through the struggles. Because of that, I know that if something new comes up, I can handle it. Because yes, exactly. I, because I'm just not intimidated anymore. Can you kind of speak to that? Yeah. Um, somebody asked me about this this week, actually. Uh, you know, like, how do you not uh, just kind of, 
I guess they use the term that's popular right now, imposter syndrome. Like, do you ever feel that? And I said, quite frankly, I didn't know what that was when I started my business. And I'm thankful because now, yeah, because I went through those three months and not just those three months, I mean, you know, every year of business requires like another level of, uh, I think faith, but it just like requires this next level of faith. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to grow my business. How do I know that there's going to be that there's going to be projects there for us to work and I'm going to hire this person and just everything that that entails. But yeah, I would say that building a business from the ground up, forensic accounting was not really popular in Tulsa when I started this. People definitely thought I was crazy. But, um, and now it's like very popular all over the US. But I am confident that no matter what walks through that door, that if I can not just immediately jump to, oh my gosh, I've never seen this before. I can't do this, but like kind of been trained to use like critical thinking and go, no, if I can just calm down, if we can just use our process, if we apply what we know, we can solve this problem. And so then that's allowed us to work all kinds of cases. Uh, and we've created value in every one because we're using critical thinking and we know how to solve problems, even if we've never seen that exact problem before. No, that's wonderful. And I want to, I want to go just a different direction because I think it's interesting. You're writing a book, you're doing a podcast, you're making a game out of what you love out of being a real life detective, right? Running a business is overwhelming. And you and I both know we could work 24 hours a day and there would still be things to do. How do you create space to be creative and think of this other business model? What works for you to kind of get away and think? Yeah. Um, so I started looking at what does it like mean to rest or like be still is kind of a, you know, like the concept of stillness is kind of popular these days, but what does it look like to actually embrace rest and to not always be in the hustle? And like, how much more can I create when I'm not exhausted? So several years ago, probably four or five years ago, I got just really sick. Like my health was just suffering from constant stress, constant hustle. And yes, we were still providing, I mean, it's a, you know, it's like this, I'm in business and I want to be busy so that I can build a team and grow and all these things. But to like, what extent, I mean, what am I really working for? If like, I can't live a while, you know, I mean, it wasn't anything that terrible, but I was definitely on a bad path. So I, I, um, did something that I thought was crazy. And now I think it's really set us up for success in the world of like professional services. So accounting, maybe even your work too, accounting, and especially with like attorneys and law firms, we have these busy seasons and you know that if you're going to get into this field, you're going to work a ton of hours. So that's the culture in accounting firms. At Workman Forensics, we work 32 and a half hours a week and I pay my employees hourly to make me stick to that promise because if they cross over 40 hours, I have to pay them overtime. And so I did that on purpose to just start looking at, because I started noticing that we were efficient to about 30 hours. And then I was paying people for inefficiency for 10 hours. And so they're just at the office doing stuff instead of maybe riding their bike or having a healthy lifestyle or, you know, spending time with their family. And so I decided to implement that. It was really difficult, but it, but I also require that of myself. And there's a few times, you know, we were working on a big case um, a couple of weeks ago and I had a couple 60 hour weeks, but, you know, immediately we go back to, okay, the project's over. Let's get back to our regular schedule. And 
that in itself has created by forcing us to be efficient with these 32 and a half hours a week, that's giving us this space to rest and to be still, but then also to have like movement. So like my husband and I started cycling this last year, but COVID really reinforced this for me, you know, when everything else, just doing things for the sake of doing things was shut off, then it just, I don't know, kind of gave this model that I was trying to create some legs. And so now I feel like we're in this really great rhythm where we work 32 and a half hours a week. And then that allows me to go on bike rides. Well, it's amazing the ideas that I'll have on a bike ride, you know, and I wouldn't have had that if I was staring at Excel. And so that's how we've tried to incorporate it. And um, my team really appreciates it. I think, I think it's going to create sustainability and longevity for my team. The team members I have have been here now. I think everybody's been here over two years now and, um, and, and some more, but it's really created like a longer lasting employee-employer uh, relationship for sure. That's awesome. I'm going to take uh, account of a little bit of that. I was actually looking at some leadership principles around artificial deadlines and you've really almost created that for your week. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And so one of the things I want to dive into, and it sounds like bike rides is one of them. So with this shift in the last year, what are you consuming more of? And then because of that, what have you consumed less of? What have you made a decision to kind of push out of your life? Yeah. So as I mentioned, just stillness, rest, and that, and I don't mean for that to sound like we're being lazy by any means. It's just creating that space to reset um, and, and doing that through bike rides or through taking my dogs on a walk or whatever, just making sure that I have that time or, um, you know, I, I really think during, um, COVID like the quarantine, I started like sitting on my back porch more and it wasn't so I could sit out there and read. Like I would just sit out there. And I, I just think that that was just, um, like, I just really needed that. And so I can, I've noticed that I keep doing that, that that's been part of that. I've also, um, so, and then movement and then also like intentional investing this year. And in order to do that, and, and that could be investing in myself. I have been in this space for 15 years and I finally decided to sit for the CPA exam. So I'm currently doing that. Um, but so I'm, so I'm doing that investing. I have team members that are also getting additional cr uh, credentials. We're investing in technology to improve our systems so that we can make the current systems we use available to people while we kind of work on the next phase of systems. Um, and then also investing, like I mentioned, creating an escape room, just looking for those areas to do intentional investing while still managing a less than 40 hour work week. And so um, in order to do that, that requires me, especially as a business owner to say, okay, I'm going to trust the processes that I've put in place in relation to administrative tasks so that mine, my part of that, my piece of that is only the part that only I can handle. Obviously being a fraud examiner uh, and forensic accountant, I make sure I pay all the bills, but how can I reduce the amount of time that takes where I'm just the one sending the funds every week or, you know, whatever my schedule is. Um, and then really looking at, I don't want to just hustle for the sake of hustling. And I want to do something intentionally. And I don't want to obsess over, am I going to have an immediate return? Like, 
just doing something. I don't want to make it sound like I'm just going to, I don't want to do things for the sake of doing things, but I also don't want to have a hobby business. So it's strategic. It's like this balance of being strategic, but um, also investing in the long term instead of, okay, how quickly can I get my money back on this? No, really good. Um, you mentioned, you know, the, the season where you got sick and looking at everything you're doing. And, and I think one of the, the best questions you can ask yourself is why, like, why am I doing this? Why did I start the business? And so hard days come regardless of what the success looks like. Right. And we all have mental battles. Everything can go great. And I've looked back and been like, it was only an hour and I feel like everything's falling apart. Um, when those moments happen or when you feel like that in the morning, what's your why to get you out of bed and get you going? Yeah, I feel like this has just recently changed. In the previous years, it was, I need to get up so I can pay bills. <laughs> um, I've really been trying to look at it from like, if I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm creating value for others and creating value for clients, then I don't have to worry about my bills being paid. And so just really looking at, how can we enjoy what we're doing today? And um, I, I do focus on, this is probably redundant for a lot of business owners, but we do use strength finders as part of my team because I do want to focus on, I think, I think if, if my team and I enjoy what we're doing, then we're going to be more efficient than that 32 and a half hours a week works. And um, so really just like, I guess within the last year, I've been able to trust my team trust the processes, and then be able to focus on what do I love? And that's creating space. Like one of my team members said the other day, oh, this would be really nice if this happened because you could spend more time working on your game. So it's like kind of paying, like, like I feel like I'm getting paid back now, you know, like I've been making sure that my team does what they like to do and all of that, but also making sure that, that for the things that I'm just not taking all the things everyone hates and I also hate it. And then uh, you and I had a good conversation before we started recording. You know, we were talking about some of the uh, things that we find uh, or the things that we walk into businesses um, or our, our areas of expertise, and they're the same all the time. So while I've got you here, what are just simple two pieces of advice uh, that you would have for people, um, trust, wills, but small business, what would that piece of advice be? You need to just look at your bank account and credit card statements. Just look at them. Just see if there's something that you don't recognize and then start asking questions. That uh, will save a lot of headache. I don't think in my world of fraud investigation and especially embezzlement, I, I don't think that we can prevent 100% of it. Um, I just don't. The goal is to detect it quickly. So if you're looking at your bank statements, credit card statements, payroll reports, and then asking questions when your gut says, hmm, this doesn't feel quite right or something's not quite right with my cash in my bank account. Just ask questions about that and follow up on that. Um, we actually posted a blog post this week about like, what do I do if I think my bookkeeper's stealing money? Um, and we actually do a lot of trainings on our YouTube channel about here's how you find money missing in your revenue or expenses or payroll. So it can get more detailed, but at the end of the day, just look at your bank statements, your credit card statements and your payroll reports. Awesome. Well, and then I know um, all of our listeners like to read, as do I. And so other than the book that you're about to write that I want a piece of, because I know you're going to give some great direction uh, and some actionable steps in there. And, and I know we can all use that because there's just so much going on. And so I'd love to read about your area of expertise. 
what uh, two books would you recommend and why? Okay. So first one, and I actually have it here, is Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Have you read this one? This is so good. Um, I remember the first time I got paid on a case. My very first case was a million and a half, uh, $1.5 million embezzlement from a nonprofit. And I got my first check after having three months of no money. And I remember I called my attorney. I said, what do I do? Like, how do I know what to pay with this? You know, and I so wish I'd had this profit first book, but this really has um, changed the game for me. Uh, so I highly recommend that one. It, it really just a good way of, I, I think as a business owner, I had a hard time, like, how do I even pay myself? And so I have to say, I probably didn't see this book until year five or six of my business. And then after that, I was like, oh, I feel so much better about paying myself. Um, so I highly recommend that. Also, another one is The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. Great book. And, um, you know, I don't actually use it for sales, but it has, uh, it has understanding his process and how he would go about helping like consulting businesses on creating that sales machine. I've actually taken his workshop concept and we use it in our case planning. We use it to improve processes. I mean, I just, I love that book. Yeah. It's a really great book for anybody that hadn't read that. I, I think the, the title's misleading because he's yes. off with basically you can't sell or market correctly unless you run your business efficiently and pulling your team in, getting their buy-in, their, their um, mind share, because they're, yeah. they're brilliant, right? Especially thinking together and writing those processes. Really good book. And probably one of the best marketers I've ever read about. Oh, yeah. And and it you're right. The title of that, and I think the title Profit First is a little misleading too, but in both of these books, because, uh, but the ultimate sales machine, it really is about serving your customers better. It's not just focusing on sales, but starting with your team, building your team, creating that trust within the team that you can. And, and I think it empowers a team to solve problems. Like we go into our case workshops and sometimes the case details we're getting from a client seems so complicated, but we have this process that isn't exactly what he describes in the book, but it's real similar. It's definitely inspired by his process. And so we detail out, you know, the client's investigation priorities and then we start using his process to solve these problems. Well, then whenever anyone has a problem, somebody will say, can we create a workshop that? Somebody will say, can we workshop that? Can we do a case plan for this? And so it's created a way to, I think, um, build a culture of just solving problems that we can do this and that there's no bad idea in the room. And, it, and his process gives everyone a voice. And I really love that. That's so good. So good. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, Leah, what's your preferred uh, method of communication? Um, you can send me an email, Leah at workmanforensics.com. And then I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, if you want to know more about any of our services or products, workmanforensics.com is the hub. We've got everything on there, the podcast trainings, all that. That's where the YouTube is with a lot of the trainings you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. We have a ton of free resources on our podcast. Thanks to, uh, a year of slow court deadlines last year, we really got to beef up the blog page and the podcast and the webinars and stuff. I love that. Finding a positive and everything going on. Yep. Well, everybody, thank you very much for your time. I'm Kellen Cowell, one of the partners here at New Wave Solutions. Leah, sincerely, thank you for giving. Yeah, thank you for having me.